girls and welcome to the very final season of Best Girl Grip. I'm your host Nicole Davis and this is the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. This week my guest is Foley editor and mixer Sophia Hardman. Sophia is an award-winning freelance Foley mixer and editor. She studied sound technology at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts and started out her career at Twickenham Studios as an intern nine years ago. Since then, Sophia has worked on a wide range of projects, from high-end TV dramas to Oscar-nominated feature films. Her credits include, but are not limited to, The Outfit, House of Gucci, The Last Jewel, Belfast, No Time to Die, Enola Holmes, The Tourist, State of the Union, and The Man Who Fell to Earth. We talk about the strange and unique language of Foley, the differences between a Foley artist and a Foley editor, what it means to create impactful, unexpected sound effects, why she made the move to freelancing after working in-house at Post Houses, how she chooses projects to work on, and how she stays across technical and technological trends. Without further ado, this is episode 126 of Best Girl Grip. starting all these interviews is thinking about the moment for you that made you kind of want to get into the film industry you know was there was there a moment was there an experience was there a person maybe that sort of initiated you into this so I guess for me I didn't really set out to get into the film industry I uh, actually wanted to be a music producer and I had full-on intentions of doing music production and being this amazing producer and then I went to study sound engineering and uh, university and uh, quickly found I wasn't very good at it uh, or as good as I wanted to be at it uh, you know in my head I was like I'm gonna make pop hits and um, yeah I couldn't do it and uh, my course was uh, really kind of very wide and they had a f- module on film and tv and that little module that we did completely piqued my interest and from that point on I was kind of obsessed with getting into film and it was and like a really kind of it was it was like a monumental change I'd been so driven to be in music and then all of a sudden I was like nope this is me now film film is where it's at was that an internal assessment where you're like no I'm no good at this or was that coming externally no that was totally an internal assessment it was no one was being that cruel to me thankfully um but it was (laughs) that would have been really bad for the ego but I had definitely kind of started to realize that you know, I already knew that music production was really tricky, but I I feel like there's certain people that just have a knack for it, and I just didn't have the knack, and I didn't quite get. Well, I did understand it, but I didn't have the like the, the wherewithal to get it to where I wanted it to be, basically. And I had very lofty ambitions, um, and didn't quite achieve them <laughs> when I wanted to. What do you think was a benefit about Foley? Like, we'll come on to the more specifics and, like, the technicalities, but I do feel like there is a shared language between music production and Foley. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the the creativity, and, I mean, especially, as you say, language, I think, is Foley has its own language in general. The way everyone talks to each other is kind of like, oh, it needs a bit more zip, Mm, we're missing a bit of that. Like, it, it is definitely, there is similarities, but it is, Foley has such a, like, a natural feel to it that music similarly has that natural feel and I think it's quite easy to kind of see how you can come from one field and get into Foley definitely. 
So is that why it sort of revealed itself to you, the fact that, you know, there were similarities with music production when you did this module on film and TV? Was it like a natural segue to Foley or did it take some time to kind of learn about that? It took some time, definitely, because I think Foley is so niche and like we had like a little little tiny module on Foley and that was like really interesting, but I didn't quite understand it. Someone explaining what Foley is to you doesn't necessarily do it justice. It's so hard to comprehend it until you see it happening and getting to see Foley happen and how it's done was that was a real poor. OK, there is something totally different here. And uh, that from that moment when I saw Foley being done, that was the change where I was like, I have to do this. I'm definitely going to try and do it justice in the course of this episode. But I think that begs the question, how do you describe it to people? You know, when you say what you do, how are you trying to encapsulate and distill what Foley is? Yeah, so I have a spiel because no one uh, no one understands what I do on, on a day-to-day basis uh, outside of the film industry. So I'm kind of, you know, I record and I edit and I might help create sound effects for film and TV. Uh, so that could be going from footsteps to handshakes to cheers in a pints in a pub to all the way to alien sounds and uh, creating monsters in a whole new world. And then that instantly gets the obvious question of, well, why didn't they record it all on set? (laughs) It's like, oh, well. And then you open up the whole spiel of, well, everything is added afterwards. Yeah, then it opens a can of worms and you're there creating the effect for a can of worms being opened. (laughs) (laughs) And presumably, you know, when you are getting your first gigs in Foley, you're not quite responsible for, you know, the creation of the effects. So what are your kind of responsibilities early on? Like, how are you assisting? Um, yeah, so when I started out in Folio, I started off assisting and that was far more of a kind of almost like janitorial role. It was cleaning up. It was uh, making sure there was coffees and teas, making sure that the theatre was tidy enough to work in. Because when you're recording all of these sound effects, it is so free flowing and loose that you bring in all of these items and they just kind of get scattered everywhere and you don't necessarily think to tidy them up in that moment in time. So part of my job was making sure you were able to move around in the theatre and kind of perform your roles really easily. And then alongside that, I was prepping sessions. So building the Pro Tools sessions, getting in any media, so the picture, any guides, and then liaising with clients if they were going to attend. And also just being kind of another presence in the room if they needed any help, if it was getting a bit tense, you can provide some light relief by just chatting. So it was like one of those, like it's a a jack of all trades role assisting and you just kind of end up learning a lot by just being in that room. And did you like see enough career progression that it made those slightly kind of more dog's body tasks like worthwhile? You were like, okay, if I do this for long enough, I will progress to the next, whatever the next kind of credit is. Yeah, I think I think when I was assisting, I wasn't necessarily like planning my my future through Foley, but I was definitely loving every moment of it and seeing what the roles were and was like, oh, I don't particularly fit the artist role, but I do really like the mixer role and I do really like the editor role and I do really like the Foley supervisor role. And I was kind of getting to gauge an idea of where I could go, but I hadn't necessarily decided I'm going to hit these steps so it was quite a like although they were dog's bodies tasks I thoroughly enjoyed them and there was a real sense of pride in what I was doing because it making the theatre run smoothly and kind of being on hand 
was like it was a real joy really to be honest with you like there was there was of course hard times but it was it was a real joy definitely talk to me about that distinction between foley artist and foley editor and why the latter appealed to you more so the foley artist is someone who performs the sound effects they bring in lots of pairs of shoes they are the person that's kind of being the natural free-flowing creation they see what's on screen and they go I know what we can do for that. They are, generally speaking, the spark of the idea. Like, it's the whole room collaborates, but they are, generally speaking, the person that comes up with the, like, initial idea. And it's a very physical job, and it's a very creative job, and it's really fun. But for me, whereas with editing is a more technical balance, uh, editing and mixing, to be honest with you, they're both a technical balance of, like, kind of being able to offer creative uh, feedback being able to be involved creatively, but also being able to enable those creative uh, sounds to be recorded well and be interesting and not just sound like anything else. Like you can be creative with the technical side of things and coming from like a technical background, that was where I wanted to kind of see myself more. And was there a credit where you were suddenly operating at a higher level? Like, do you recall that moment where you were maybe taking on kind of more editing responsibilities? Mm, yeah uh well it wasn't an editing one it was a mixing one and it was um it was on Enola Holmes and that film which I I love with all of my heart um but it was that was a real turning point for me because at that point in time in my career the mixer at Twickenham when I was working at Twickenham uh was uh off for a period of time so with him being off it meant that I was completely in control of the project I'd been completely trusted I was liaising with the clients I was recording this whole film that from the word go the moment you saw the first frame of it you were like this is going to be amazing and it had so much room for creativity and so much room to kind of really expand and like kind of use all these skills that I'd been gathering and learning and watching from being in the theatre for so long that I felt like as I was recording it, and I think my colleagues at the time would agree, we all felt like it was just coming together really naturally and really, really well that we all were like so pleased with the job at the end of it. And presumably, you know, he then came back. And what was the conversation around like, well, you know, I've maybe shown that I can do this a bit more. Did you have to like advocate for yourself to kind of then move up a tier? Yeah, yeah. I did. I did advocate for myself. And it was uh, it was it was, of course, it was a little bit of a tricky balance um, because there was one theatre and then there was technically two mixers at that point in time. Uh, So we kind of came to a gentle agreement of like being like, okay, so I'll start to get more opportunities to be mixing more. And when he's away, I will automatically assume all of those projects. And, you know, it was like slowly but surely kind of climbing my way into recording more and more and getting those opportunities and when they came it was it was the best thing ever it really was. So you mentioned working at Twickenham Film Studios and I know that you've worked at other post houses as well I'm wondering if you can speak about maybe the different processes techniques that are kind of uh, at play within these kind of different places you know what was Twickenham Film Studios's approach to creating Foley? So Twickenham's approach to creating Foley was very much one of creating this like natural but very much an overemphasized in certain times so it was very we would go for a natural sound but then when there was moments to be really expressive and really emphasize scenes we would gallop to those kind of moments so doing uh for example we did uh, a film like Artemis Fowl 
and that had a huge troll sequence in it so you know like it's of course it's the whole film is based around fairies and has lots of like different kinds of sounds and we would take those moments for example with the troll where we'd create this huge monstrous sounds and like that's not something people tend to expect foley to kind of go for but we have uh we had this very strong belief that if it's there we'll try it and we'll see what we can achieve in the theater even though it's a small theater and we're just using natural things natural things just as boxes car parts we will create as much possible sounds and make them as big as possible and do something that people not necessarily would expect Foley to have an attempt at doing basically they would expect that the effects editors would just take all of those kind of sounds and we would always try to create something bigger and larger than life if we can. Mm, that's really interesting. And and for me, it begs the question, you know, if Twickenham have this, yeah, this natural approach, is that your instinctive style? Because you came up through Twickenham, do you think that is the style that you would have adopted anyway, or that's just what you learn? I mean, I think it's what I learned, but I also think I had it in some way in my brain. Um, when I was very young, I used to watch a lot of Pixar films and uh, A Bug's Life was one of my favourites and like something that I really loved about A Bug's Life and obviously I didn't quite notice it at the time but when I watched it more later as an adult was the difference in sound between when you were hearing perspective from the bugs and how everything kind of sounded together and then when the humans kind of came in everything was huge and I loved that over exaggerated sound effects that they were going for I have that want to create something that has kind of real definition to it and real excitement that you can instantly link to what's going on, but it is over the top. And then I'm wondering, you know, you went freelance, uh, you're now freelance with Celeste Sound. I'm wondering what prompted that decision, like at what point that felt like the right move for you? Well, I've been doing Foley for seven years now and it was it was a tricky decision because Foley it seems to be going more in-house so there seems to be less people freelancing but I kind of felt like maybe now is the time to go freelance because everyone is doing the opposite where I can hopefully market myself as kind of one of the very few remaining freelance Foley editors and work with some of the bigger clients you know it felt like just the right the natural progression because I'd worked in uh, post houses for so long I've kind of got used to the workflow and the kind of rigidity that that brings and having the ability to go freelance has been an absolute dream to be honest with you being able to kind of go to different places and to work in with different people as well has been really a fantastic experience and on a more like micro level, what freedoms or like flexibilities do you think going freelance has given your work? Do you think it's allowed you to experiment or play more or just do different projects? I think it's in terms of projects, I think it is uh, enabled me to do projects that I didn't know necessarily think it would be possible to get. And I think that has been really amazing for me because I think for example one of the projects that I was really lucky enough to work on was um, one called The Inventor and it was an animation film and I love animation as I mentioned Pixar and it was an absolute dream to work on and um, I worked with um, a studio called Earth Sound Foley and that was completely like like a massive kind of uh, undertaking because it was a, a huge feature film but we had this like complete freedom 
to just create whatever we wanted and we were trusted and I don't think I would have had that opportunity had I not gone freelance. How does your work change when it's like animation over live action? Is there a different approach? It's the same approach in many ways but it is because the characters are in this not necessarily human world you have to kind of start from complete scratch and have this idea of like okay they that's a like a floating item how are we going to make that sound and tie it and ground it to something and create something that you will understand and kind of be able to kind of visualize when you hear the sound you want it to kind of link to the audience but you don't necessarily need it to be exactly what it like looks like it can be something more abstract so is it about mixing something that is familiar with something maybe more abstract that like creates the texture of that sound yeah absolutely i think like the uh like if you have what you visually see and go okay well material like what is the material that grounds it rather than like it's a box okay well let's take this box object and We'll try and manipulate it into something. If we go from materials upwards and kind of go from there, we can create something far more interesting. And it's not always about the actual item that you're using. It's more about its rhythm and its manipulation. So especially in animation, we have a bit more freedom and it's a bit more difficult simultaneously that they don't move like human beings. They don't have this normal fluidity. So it's all very jolty and very different. So kind of you can make the most of that and you can add character by having these kind of more rigid and jolty sounds. And that is something that's just very fun to play with, but very tricky to get right as well. It's almost like leaning into the limitations that animation has rather than like trying to fix it or make it sound like live action. You can't force it and it sounds wrong when you make it sound like live action, I think. So it, it you just have to kind of go with it and accept, right, this is going to seem weird and you're going to be confused for the first like hour or two of recording it and be like, are we going down the right lines or are we losing our minds? And then slowly but surely you listen to it again, you're like, nope, this is really working. And presumably with freelance, you have much more choice over the kinds of projects that you work on. What goes into informing that choice? You know, is it just about reading a script and loving a story? Is it about having a conversation with the director what is it that is going into yeah making you decide that you want to work on that project well honestly at the moment because this is my first year of freelancing I am kind of in the position of going I will kind of take everything that I need to take because it has been it has been um you know it's a scary world freelancing and understanding that I am going to have enough work is is has been like a, a a mental struggle of like not panicking that I'm going to not be able to pay my rent or whatever like you know it's uh, so right now I I haven't been being extremely uh, choice with my options but I hope in the future that I will be able to be kind of a bit more selective but that that's not to say I haven't really enjoyed all of my projects but it's it's uh, something in the future that I would like to be able to kind of be a bit more selective and savour my time a bit more. I suppose that offers us like two paths to go down. I guess the first one is, you know, what would inform that selection? Therefore, you know, when you do get to a stage where you can be a bit pickier, what would guide you in that way? I think in terms of project type, so I tend to lean towards film rather than TV. And the reason for that mainly is schedule because TV schedules are so tight that especially with Foley, they don't end up giving it a lot of time. And that means that the project feels rushed and you don't feel like you've 
you've missed things that you maybe wanted to spend more time on. So I would always kind of lean towards a film project if I if I had was given the choice. And then from there, I would always want to understand what the story and the narrative really was going to bring. And was it something that we've seen a million times? Or is it something that is new and engaging and is offering something to the world that hasn't quite been seen before or is doing something slightly different? Because I think, especially at the moment, we're in this like cycle of rehashing a lot of films and remaking a lot of films that are great. They're all great, but are they the stories that we should be telling at this moment in time? And I think that I would like to be able to be doing films that mean something more for the future of film. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess your question on time or like your your comment on time, when you're given a project, are you setting how much time you need to do said task or is it coming from above? Like you have three weeks and you just have to make it work. Yeah, I mean, so time and budget kind of go hand in hand. And so it depends on the budget, depends on how much time we get. And quite often we get given the budget and it's like, okay, well, this is how much we can spend on the shoot and this is how much we can spend on the edit. And therefore, from that point, we have to just make it work within that. So it might mean sacrificing like, well, we won't go into as much detail as we'd like to with that certain character or we'll do it all in one pass and try and create something that kind of has the same idea that we want to get across, but maybe isn't quite as like, detailed as we would like it to be and this actually leads on quite well to my next question which is that you know when you are given a mammoth project such as a feature how do you prioritize is it kind of you know are you looking at the hierarchy of characters as you said and kind of just prioritizing the leads or are there other ways in of figuring out okay how can we create texture and detail but maybe without like going into every moment I mean the 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 natural state of someone who works in Foley is they want to go into every detail of every moment it's a gift and a curse Uh, (laughs) but in for like a feature film even if it's a feature film that we don't have that much time for for example but we want to get that kind of detail through it will definitely be well what are the absolute must-haves we must have the feet we must have the moves for the main characters so then from that point on it becomes about prioritizing the spots okay well and the spots are the spot effects of so like the like hand claps or like someone kicks a football someone's typing on their phone someone's tapping away on a computer all of those kind of things that happen in everyday life and from that point if it's a very busy film we might say okay we can hear in the dialogue or in the effects bounce that we've been given by the sound editors that they've already kind of laid up some general kind of sound effects and at that point it's like okay well what do we not need to cover okay they've done all the phones brilliant we'll skip all of that they've done all of the car door handling we'll skip all of that like we'll start to become a little bit more selective in what we've got and we'll have conversations with the sound editorial team about and the mixers about what they really need from us if that's the if we are short of time to kind of give them what they need whereas if it was something where there was you know a four-week film ah, perfect love it we have so much time so we can I mean not always the case but nine times out of ten four weeks is is perfect and it allows us to go into detail it allows us to give them options so that when they get into the mix they've got multiple versions of things and they can go ah that's not quite working and instead of having to kind of be like sending an email at the end of the day and being like guys can we have an update for this and we need it to kind of sound like this they've already got four options laid up that they can just flip out really easily in the mix so we want to be 
providing a like service that like instantly you feel like oh I've got the coverage I need but sometimes that's just not possible with budget and time. And when you talk about options what are the differentiations or variations that you're providing there is it simply about less and more or is it more nuanced than that i mean i mean some in some cases it is less than more but then there are versions of things for example i've just been working on a film and i was doing edit for the footsteps and there was a walk that we'd done that was like a very creaky shoe and that's like a really like interesting thing when you've got like not much going on but it could be quite distracting so we had an option that was a cleaner shoe so it didn't have these like leathery creaks going on and then we had another option that was weightier so it kind of like it made them sound a bit more present a bit heavier and so it might draw your eye a little bit more to them and then another option we had was a tappier alt which is kind of getting more into the foley language of being like it's a bit tappy so you kind of hear more of the toe rather than the heel of the shoe so things like that in terms of uh, sound is one of the um, in terms of how it sounds is one of the options we could do but then another option would be performance so because we record foley to picture and it's done kind of as a performance it's subjective in many ways it's like it's not always perfectly like as you see it and so we you could get more creative with it and do a performance so if it was a character running down a hallway to get to somewhere they need to go urgently we could do a different performance that's heavier and slappier that has the same amount of feet, but it's more interesting to listen to. And then we could do a performance that's got like kind of just less feet to it. So it's you are your brain understands it rather than it being a it could just be dum 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 dum. And that is maybe easier to digest for an audience. When you're presenting those options, are you giving an opinion? on which one you think is best or are you just letting the director or you know the sound department kind of decide when for example if i'm editing uh, i will i will be leaving the select take kind of that i think is best open and everything else muted with a description of what it is so i kind of lead by like leading them into having the one that i think works the best but still the options are visible but if i was in the mix then i might advocate for a reason why we could maybe go with that or if if it kind of comes down to a director's decision then of course you just be like yeah absolutely here is the option and what's informing that opinion is it just gut instinct of like you've listened to it over and over and that's just the one that's making you feel the most i think there's something really odd about how like strongly i feel about certain sounds and it's like i have very strong opinions and i didn't realize how strong my opinions were until i like really started kind of understanding foley and had been doing it for a little while as like those things that I was like mm, I don't like that and instantly can say no to certain sounds so I, th- I think it probably comes from experience in theatres and hearing sounds and he- hearing other people talk about them and why they didn't like them and kind of processing that and just holding that information in my head part of being in Foley is sometimes you need to be able to explain to for example the artist like why you didn't like their performance or their previous take and you kind of without offending anybody but also you know give them a note that they can then work with to then move forward and go okay well for that one for me that felt a little bit too slidey and maybe we could do one that's more planted and you know they can take those words and go okay cool well that's my interpretation of what they've just said and this is how I'm going to put it across. 
how did you go about learning or like finessing that language? Like, is it just about having a pocket thesaurus nearby? Or I mean, <laughs> I mean if there is a thesaurus for Foley, I need it because like it's it's st- it's I'm still learning. Like it's uh, there's so like it's I think and I think everyone who works in Foley has slightly different language. So now that I'm freelance and I've been going to different studios, it's been interesting to try and like get words across. So like things like things that sound zippy to me, I think they sound certain certain ways. It's like zip, no, uh, the zip sound, but some people hear them in a different way. But I, I, it's kind of uh, I end up doing what I just did of like kind of making the sound with my mouth and seeing and maybe sometimes doing an action and that helps move the conversation along of like oh okay I see what you mean let me try this so it's it's very much the language is 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 formed in the theater in the studios when you are recording and you build a rapport with who you're working and you create your own language based on a shared language basically. I want to talk specifically about a few of your projects. One that I saw recently that I really enjoyed was The Outfit directed by Graham Moore and I think what's interesting to talk about you know sound and foley and that is the fact that it's it's a really specific world you know it's it's I think 1950s but also it's just like entirely set within this tailor's workshop. Talk me through like some of the you know approaches that you took to that you know how you built that world and kind of finessed it. So that uh, that was a fantastic project and when that project came in it was like it's we got told it's basically like a play you know it's in one room like it's it is it is like a play and so I was working with a fantastic team at the time so I was working with Adam Mendes and Oliver Ferris we kind of this this the focus on getting for the Foley for this project was creating this balance because you've got so many characters kind of walking around this one space you want to create something where each individual character is you know standing out or you know we've got our like potential baddie how do we portray them uh, you know I think it was a really interesting film to work on and I was I was lucky enough to edit for that one and that was like a brilliant turnaround we had so much kind of involvement in the process having recently edited something where we were looking for the right scissor sounds and it was like oh it's not heavy enough and it you know they sound too snippy and I'm wondering if like <laughs> that came into it as well where you're having to like you know match the sound to the right weight of the scissors and things as specific as that well yeah ex- exactly I mean that is that is that is a classic Foley moment of like oh it is not quite weighty enough or it's just not got the right tone to it and you're like creating like for the example that it is all cutting in the outfit and you know it is like it's like matching his performance his kind of slow motion that is a really it takes time to create those things and they're just not can't just find like a library kind of sound and be like yep that will work like it's got to be done really slowly and methodically and when it's a period piece, are you having to think about what objects were actually around at that time? Or again, are you thinking more abstractly and just looking for like the material? I mean, it's a bit of both, really. I think, uh, you know, certain things such as like phones, like the, you don't want to be using a modern phone in a period drama or a period piece. But it is for so many other things like shoes we tend to go with materials for like tables you can go with materials but there's certain sounds and certain objects that appear in these kind of projects that it's like we we need to find that you know you can't really bodge your way around certain things like like for example armor like this is a very obvious example but like armor you can't it's metal so yeah you could use metal but that it wouldn't sound like armor how armor has a very specific uh tonality and kind of 
movement to it that you can't get with anything else. And then obviously that's like a period approach to Foley, but then I'm wondering if there is like a a genre approach to Foley and maybe thinking about it in the context of No Time to Die, where there's a real legacy and there's a real, there's a world that kind of already exists, you know, in all these previous Bond films. Are you kind of like looking to them and saying, okay, like what has been done before, you know, how can we draw on that, but then also maybe create something new? Or are you just starting from scratch, thinking very specifically about this story? I think with the Bond film, like No Time to Die, you... You, we everyone who worked on that had this initial like you you kind of have that like the gun being pulled out of a holster and that everyone has those kind of like moments where it, it you you can't ignore the history and uh, I think if you were to stray too far from the sounds that have already been created and the worlds that have been created you stand to miss a little bit of like the like the history and being part of that history and I think because the sound supervisor who was working on that film, Oliver Tani, he had also done work on Casino Royale. So he had this like, like knowledge coming into it. So he was leading the charge on creating these sounds. And I think that was a really like, there was a very much like everyone wanted to keep the history and the like the drama that the, all of the James Bond films have. And then I guess it applies to Bond as well. Like, how do you achieve volume and impact, as is so often the case with these kind of action sequences and kind of explosions, but without losing detail? You know, is that a balance to get right? For me, it's about microphones, placement and plugins. So it becomes very much a technical a mixer and editor kind of process because the sounds that the artists are doing, they're nearly always the right sounds. And it's just about how you kind of capture them and keep that detail that they're doing and emphasize the size. So, you know, the one of the kind of main tricks that we do in terms of is using like low end kind of processing to kind of add weight and size to something. And you can kind of you can compress you can use kind of all of these different plugins to create something bigger than what is actually being recorded. We can also add materials when we're recording. So, for example, if we were doing a sound that was quite small, but we wanted to make it sound bigger, we could put it on something like a box that then has size to it that creates a bigger sound when you make the sound on that. So you can you can cheat your way into making small sounds to sound bigger. Something like The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is, you know, much more otherworldly and dystopian. Again, how are you creating this balance between obviously a whole like different universe and it's kind of at tilt, but also grounding it in obviously reality and, you know, making it known to the audience? That was a, an amazing project to be involved in. Firstly, that was so much fun. Every single sound we did on that was just enjoyable. And I think with the lead character, because he was an alien and he was he was alien in our world, kind of making him feel like everything he touched felt different and loud or it was like kind of like a moment where all of the coins come spewing out of his mouth, sorry, the rings come spewing out of his mouth. You know, that is a completely like unreal sequence of sounds to kind of have to do. So we really focused on creating his environment in the on earth, sorry, I was going to say in the UK, on earth being kind of like one that where everything jarred him. And then as it progresses, it gets softer and it's not quite as bright and not quite as jarring to him. Whereas then when we flip across to his planet, it's all very kind of fluid and organic sounding. And I think that making those differences really helped kind of sell the change between the two. 
And you mentioned plugins and lots of other things that went slightly over my head. I'm wondering how you keep up to date with that side of your industry and whether there are any like technical advancements or there are new softwares that you should be using. Is that just an extracurricular part of your job or is there any like formal training? I mean, I th- think there's probably formal training so the main piece of software that i use is pro tools uh, avid's pro tools and that is is my day in day out it's what i open up every morning that changes is is going through changes constantly but because they are small increments of changes it's quite easy to kind of keep on top of them and i think there is some forms of education in pro tools i think avid have uh, certificates that you can learn and i think when i first started at twickenham i had a very basic knowledge of Pro Tools. And I was like, oh, I know how to use Pro Tools. That's totally fine. And then I watched some people using Pro Tools and they basically didn't use a mouse and it was all shortcuts. And I was like, oh my word, I need to step my game up. That became like an extracurricular activity of like understanding shortcuts and being like, oh, how can I make my workflow faster and wanting to improve? And then for plugins, that is a bit of a constant. There's new plugins all the time. Someone's being really creative and create made something that you can use in different ways and you can't really keep up with the sheer amount of plugins or I certainly can't and I try my best uh, it ends up being kind of like a word of mouth kind of conversation it's like oh have you tried this plugin then like oh what does it do and having these kind of conversations with uh, people who work in the industry and then trying things out yourself like on the project that I'm working on at the moment I I got recommended a plugin and I downloaded it straight away and tried it and I was like oh perfect this this is exactly what I needed you know like it's you don't know until you've had these conversations and being in an environment that allows you to like, collaborate with other people uh, means that you can learn from them where do you go for that is it like an online forum is it a whatsapp group is it just kind of yeah word of mouth I mean there's there's whatsapp group uh, sound editors that I've been a part of that's been a really interesting kind of lots of different dialogues about like plugins and uh, a really united front on pay for freelancers so that's been a really interesting thing to watch and then also from working in the industry and coming up with a bunch of people that were also my age some of my best friends also work in the industry so we have like a constant like we talk about normal stuff but then we also quite easily go down the rabbit hole of like oh have you heard about this plugin and we get really boring but we have a lovely time and then coming back to kind of the extracurricular side of things and maybe if you're looking to experiment or you're just looking to like learn a new plugin but the project that you're currently working on isn't facilitating that what do you do to sort of stay creatively sharp and keep like the play element in your work well I think Foley is is a massive uh, event of play our roles are to create and to try and to try again when it doesn't work so for me I even if a plugin doesn't necessarily lend itself to a project I will still try it out even if it's completely absurd you know if it was just like a period drama but I've found this plugin that creates some huge weight and makes it almost sounds like processes it and pitch shifts it and makes it sound like a monster I would still try it out and it'd be you know it'd be comic and I would learn something from it and then I would be able to apply that in a more appropriate time but I would try it and just see what it can do is I think I want to have the initiative and the spark to just freely try things. I think that's what Foley really encourages to just freely try as you on the fly. So I don't think I ever want to stop just being like, yeah, I'm going to give that a go, you know, even if it's wrong for the moment. Is there an example of like a project where you feel like that play and that sense of fun has been rewarded, like where you can like see that in the, you know, the finished piece? Yeah, I think 
well I think the inventor which is is definitely was uh three weeks of play basically and uh and that was joyous when that does come out I'm so excited because I think it was entirely experimentation and that is a like a very strong example of what you can achieve by just trying things out similarly I worked on another animation called Ron's Gone Wrong which was an absolute joy and you know a lot of the sounds for Ron were just done by Ollie Ferris the Foley artist and he was just trying things out and it was always just a free-flowing moment that everyone was like that that was the sound let's do that again not forcing it I think is is some of the best best ways to do Foley yeah that's a brilliant film I love that animation but also like coming back to the inventor it's good that the kind of ethic behind the technical things kind of match the story or well I don't know the story but you know like in the sense that if you're making a film about an inventor you would hope that you know people then like feel able to invent things themselves yeah you want to be inventive in a film that is purely about an inventor and I think being able to kind of have that the wherewithal and the like the freedom to just be like let's just try it and switching gears slightly, you mentioned there obviously with um, the WhatsApp groups and, uh, you know, being freelance and setting rates. What's informing that? Is it just an industry standard or is it like how much time you're working on a project? Is it just, you know, your choice of what you think you're worth? Talk to me about how you set your rate. So I think it's a really tricky thing, and especially because I haven't been freelance very long. I had no idea how to broach how much do I charge people? Because it's very, it feels completely alien to me of like going, yeah, this is how much I cost per day. That's it's so strange to me. So uh, there is back to the union, which has been really helpful because they have rate cards that is kind of set for indie films, small budgets, feature mid-range features and then big budget features and being able to have that basis and going take you can take that and you can use it as you wish but like having that as a base level understanding of okay so this is where my peers are kind of looking at really helps me understand how to frame myself when putting myself out into the world as a freelancer. And then I'm wondering if there's like a piece of advice that has like steered your course or that just has stayed with you that you have as a bit of a mantra day to day. I think a piece of advice that I've only heard recently, but I think I've always followed it. So I think I've had it in my brain, but I haven't necessarily known it is uh, be nice to everyone. You don't know who you're talking to. And I, you don't necessarily know if the runner that's been making you coffee in five years time is actually going to be the sound supervisor or they're going to be a post-production person that can help you get work. Being good to people from the get go, no matter their role, is so important to me. And I think being a good person should always come first. Absolutely. Hey, hey. You know, this podcast is about kind of trying to get more insight and and busting myths around certain roles in the film industry. I'm wondering if there's a myth that you think persists around, you know, Foley editing and Foley mixing or just Foley in general that you're like, we need to dispel that. I think the I mean, it's maybe not a myth, but I think there's an idea that there's probably already a sound for that. You know, someone's already recorded that. Why do we need to do Foley for this? And I think, you know, there is there is probably a sound that probably could work, but you can get something unique and beautiful and boutique by trying to record it and trying and putting that little bit of effort in. And I think the, the general myth around Foley is, you know, we could do better from just grabbing it from a library. That feels like a good um, tagline for Celeste Sound if uh, you needed a unique, boutique and beautiful. <laughs> I will market that. Thank you. You are welcome. Can you tell I once worked in marketing? And finally, I would love to know if there is a film by a women director that you would like to recommend today. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm actually going to go a little bit rogue because I actually haven't seen it and say uh, a film by a director called Savannah Leaf uh, and the film's called Earth Mama. And so Savannah is a director that I've actually worked with before. I worked on quite a few of her short films quite a few years ago and her storytelling and her priority for telling stories about black women especially are fantastic and that was goes back to what I was saying about the need for better stories and better storytelling and she embodies that and her films embody that so Earth Mama is what I would recommend. Amazing it might be out by the time this podcast comes out but if not I will definitely link to the trailer in the show notes. Sophia thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been really yeah interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Best Girl Grip. If you liked what you heard, please do rate, review and subscribe, spread the good word, etc. If you're interested in other interviews with women who work in sound, check out my episodes with music supervisor Lucy Bright, sound designer and mixer Anesh Adriana, and sound designer and supervisor Anna Burtmark. In the meantime, have a great week and I'll be back next Friday with a brand new episode.